this is Kate Magic. Today I'm joined by Gabrielle Cousins. Gabrielle's book Conscious Eating was one of the first raw food books I had back in the 90s and it's a huge honour and privilege to be able to speak with him today. One of my main reasons for wanting to speak with him is thinking about who is still active in the raw food movement today. And Gabrielle was one of the few people I could think of who I didn't already know who is really out there still um, promoting the benefits of the raw vegan diet. So huge pleasure to be speaking with him. I really hope you enjoy the interview today. Hello Gabrielle, thank you so much for joining me today. It's really such a blessing to be able to spend some time with you. Well, Kate, I'm very happy to share and uh, reconnect a little bit with the English audience. It is possible I may show up there in a year or so we to give a talk. So yours was actually, I... I've been eating raw vegan since the early 90s and your conscious eating book was one of the very first books. The first books I had was Anne Wigmore, Recipes for Longer Life and Victoria Skorinskis, Survivor into the 21st Century. So they were my starter books. But then I think I got your book in the mid 90s, Conscious Eating. Um, so it was one of the very first raw food books out there, wasn't it? Do you want to just tell us a little bit about how you became, you know, how you started on the raw vegan journey, the raw vegan lifestyle. Sure, it's a kind of a funny story. So let's start with vegan. So in 1973, my wife was pregnant uh, and she and I both had the same nightmare, is that the fetus was a chicken. And (laughs) that thought was so important that we both became vegan overnight. That's how I got started with vegan. It's kind of <laughs> funny, but that's um, and that's a unique story. But that's it. Okay. But in 1975, um, I received what we call Shaktipat, the awakening of Kundalini from Swami Muktananda, and uh, I kind of disappeared. I won't go through the whole discussion, but disappeared in nothing. And when I came back down, a little voice rang out and said. You should learn to eat and live in a way that supports the uh, m- movement and unfolding of the Kundalini. So, uh, wow. being a vegan, I kind of began to do some research. What was, what's the best diet? And in that time, from 1975 till ni- really 1983, it got clear to me that the live food vegan diet was by far the most powerful diet for supporting the spiritual energy, which we call Kundalini, which is the uh, awakened spiritual energy of the divine. So, uh, and then I wrote my first book actually in 1986 called Spiritual Nutrition and the Rainbow Diet, mm-hmm. which preceded actually. So that's how I got started. I, I actually explored, it took me about, because nobody knew much about live food, really. Uh, and particularly from a spiritual point of view, it was all about health or purification, which is more than the Anne Wigmore focus, right? Um, so 
I was coming from a different point of view. What's the best way to support the spiritual energy? Mm. But you're and a, you're that's a physician. how I did it. You're a physician as well, right? Right. I'm a holistic physician, psychiatrist, and actually a researcher publishing papers in biochemistry and biophysics. So mm. I'm kind of have a broader background mm. in, in the bigger picture. And it, it, based on all that, based on the spiritual work that I was doing, working with thousands, literally thousands of people, it got very clear that that was the best way. Now, what also got clear is meat, fish, chicken, and dairy were a uh, clog through the flow of the Kundalini, through what we call the nadis, which are the subtle energy channels. Mm -hmm. The three nadis, Idapagala, Shushumna, and meat, fish, chicken, and dairy actually seem to be a, a clog to it. They bring death into the system, our subtle body system, which blocks the flow of the spiritual energy known as kundalini so i saw that definitely being a problem because i saw that people who were having a little trouble with uh you know more kundalini than they felt comfortable with go to eating meat fish and chicken to suppress it so i i saw that people were self-medicating mm -hmm. with meat fish and chicken I and mean, that's a small group of people but that's where i really finalized my understanding is okay it does work you know, if you want to suppress the flow of the spiritual energy, eat fish, meat, fish, chicken, and dairy. One of my uh, two uh, spiritual gurus, Swami Prakashananda, said it very beautifully, that when you kill an animal, you create pain, misery, and fear. That pain, misery, and fear goes into you when you eat the flesh of that animal. Right. Uh, it couldn't be any clearer. Yeah. So all that goes on. Uh, so... That's kind of where all the shift happened, where it got clear that live food versus vegan. Now, how did I go to live food versus vegan? Because vegan isn't killing animals either. And in the work with um, diabetes, we're, we're in three weeks on a live food diet. We are curing diabetes, and I'll say 61% non-diabetic dependent in three weeks and 24% of insulin dependent people are off insulin and have a, a normal blood sugar. So what, what happened here? So I compared that to uh, a really good vegan work um, and they found that people on a vegan diet had 46% less need for medication. Mm. By what I'm saying. So basically, they're diabetic and they have, uh, when they go vegan, they can take 46% less medication. Mm -hmm. Okay, that's good. Uh, but on a live food diet, we, we're talking 97% cured in three weeks uh, who are non instant, but 24% cured in three weeks. Now, more get cured later. But the point I'm making is uh, there's a huge difference between dropping your medication by 46% and not particularly affecting the blood sugar. I'll explain that in a minute. And, and that, uh, that's a five and a half month. That's 22 weeks. And in three weeks of live food, 97% are off all medication and 
so many, you know, and people are actually cured. That's a huge difference between live food and cooked vegan. And that study was done by uh, Dr. Bernard, who's very good, very high quality person. And uh, so well, I know it was a good quality study. Can you tell us how you came to start the Tree of Life, how that all began? In really 19, uh, where were we doing? 1987, I kind of got the message that it was time to leave California and, and create a community. And it was just too expensive to do in California. And I kind of looked at places where I also supported holistic medicine. And in the US, the two big places are Arizona and Nevada. We spent seven years looking and we found, found a place in Patagonia, Arizona, where we are located. And we found what we really were looking for, and so we did it. And we began in 1993. Now, we have done a transition because in my phase, I needed to do this for like 24, 25 years, and then move into humanitarian work. So I'm actually shifting. So we have uh, condensed our center down. We're having uh, meditation retreats, doing a lot of communication like we are doing right now. This is my base for doing that. We're creating an organic, veganic, live food uh, garden, totally off the grid. Actually, the center is all solar, including our well, and we're creating a model for that. Meantime, I have enough time to, I'm really now in uh, about uh, 14 different countries around the world, and we are actually promoting veganism and live food as much as possible around the world and organic, veganic farming and diabetes prevention centers, which I have all around the world with teachers I've trained who can give advice of how to move your diet towards a, a vegan life food diet to prevent diabetes. So we're kind of spreading out mm. both um, over the internet type thing or as we are, you know, audio audio and visual, but also traveling to these countries. We're talking about at least uh, about 20 different places in Mexico, Brazil, six countries in, in, uh, in Africa. It goes on and on. So that's kind of our move, which is to spread this whole teaching around the world. But you had Tree of Life that's for how kind long? Of where I'm was it 25 years you had Tree of Life? No, we still have the Tree of Life. <clears throat> we started doing workshops. Oh, okay. we're, we're just, um, we're not having a place where people can come and stay. That's all. Okay, okay. So, so people come, I have people doing a, you know, fasting here and different healing things going on, but it's more on the individual uh, basis. We're not you doing retreats except our three-day um, med meditation intensive retreat and what I call zero point, which is yoga, the mind retreat. That's all we're doing. And we are actually building um, a possibly the first live food vegan cafe in all of Arizona. Uh, hopefully it will be done by March. Mm, so, and actually it should be run. The plan is uh, people from Manchester are actually <laughs> They live, they lived, they've been here in the United States for a long time. Yeah. Are actually going to be run, running it, but they're from Manchester. Brilliant. 
I'm really curious. So we're just expanding and we're also, go ahead. Yeah, I'm really curious at your personal diet because most people don't sustain raw vegan long term. Can you tell us what your personal diet is and also what supplementation you think is uh, important on the raw vegan diet? I've been 99% raw vegan since 1983. Amazing. So we're looking at 46 years. Okay. Right? I think that's right. <laughs> so uh, so what? what is that about? Well, actually, it's 36 years. So what's that about? Well, so what do I mean by stronger? I'm saying when I was 20 years old, captain of an undefeated American football team, I could do 70 push-ups and six pull-ups. Okay, so here I am on a live food diet, and here I am at age 77, and I am doing, well, at age 60, I did 601 push-ups. Wow. And um, I'm running, yeah, it's a lot. And 80 to 100, well, I've done 100 pull-ups. So I've gotten stronger. I've also gotten more flexible. I can sit in full lotus for a very long time, a few hours, which most yeah. people can't do. Mm. So I'm more flexible, I am more stronger, and I have more endurance. So I, I would say I have flourished on the life of diet. Okay? How come? Well, I use a little applied intelligence. We have actually different constitution, genetically different. Okay, on chromosome 19, it says how much protein, how much fat, how much carbohydrate. So one of the keys to being successful on a live food or even a vegan diet is knowing whether a person needs more protein and fat or less protein and fat. Yeah. It has to be uh, personalized. So that's the key. And, and so I will tell you, under my supervision, about 98% of the people, actually I've only had one person who couldn't do it, who's a person near the Arctic Circle, had to have fish once a week. But aside from that, anyone who's sincere, uh, we make the adjustments and they can be very successful. So I'm talking 98, 99, 99% success rate when you organize the diet to your constitution. Okay? That's really, really important. So that's the number one thing and the number one secret. Okay? Because... We're not a bunch of cows who eat grass. We need different things according really to our genes. Okay, so that's pretty important to understand. There's not one live food diet for everyone. Now, that being said, the next question is, well, are there supplements you need, which you appropriately ask? And pretty much everyone, whether you're a live fooder, a vegan, or just a general meat eater, Everyone needs B12 and folic acid uh -huh. supplements, okay? And I use kind of a, a B12 from the organisms that are grown in our, our gut. That people have cultured them, and so I'm getting human active B12. That's different than just a B12 shot. Human active B12, which I take on a regular basis. Those are two key things. What I also observed is people, 95% of pregnant women in America are deficient in long chain omega-3s. Mm. Okay, DHA and EPA. But what that tells us, 
as I've checked, almost everyone needs DHA and EPA. You really can't get enough of it on a meat diet or a live food diet. So you want to be successful, you need a certain amount, okay? And what I get from all the research is 1,200 milligrams of DHA and 400 milligrams of EPA. So we, the third thing is having the right amount of protein. Now, the healthiest protein doesn't come from meat, fish, chicken, and dairy, because that's higher up in the food chain, has 95 to 96% of the pesticides and herbicides and radiation. So the healthiest protein is lower on the food chain, which is vegan protein. And there are all kinds of uh, protein concentrates out there. I'm a person that doesn't need much protein, to be honest. So the most I have is about one tablespoon of E3 live a day. That's it. But some people need more. If your person needs more protein, then you, you need. But so someone like me, I'm what we call a slow oxidizer. I really don't need much protein. So I need very little. So one of the big failures is that people again think we're cows and we don't need much protein, and they go with the traditional, and I'm going to say, well, uh, very uninformed diet that says lots of carbohydrates, low fat, and low protein. And that's good for about 30% of the population. 70% of the population needs higher protein. So. That's one of the other major problems. Now, I'm going to just say that there, there is a, a range uh, of optimum protein, which is 35 to 70 grams a day, that gives optimal, which gives optimal longevity and protection against cancer. And that's 35, between 35 and 70 grams. So a person needs lower protein, needs 35, 40 grams, um, and the person needs higher protein, about 70 grams. And the plant-based protein concentrates are extremely good for it. And so I make sure, as I test people, yeah, are you a person that needs more protein or not very much protein? So those are like the two key things. I'm going to add vitamin D to the story because about 85% of the population are deficient in vitamin D. You know, it varies different populations. In England, probably higher. Yeah. Because you don't get much sun. So I think it's important people get vitamin D and then MK7 because uh, it has a, the calcitonin that brings the vitamin D into the bone uh, function. So those are what I would say are, are key. And then vitamin C, all humans do not make vitamin C. So we need a vitamin C supplement. So people want to be hardcore and thinking, well, I can get it all from my food. They rarely are successful. Yes, some people are more genetically uh, able to do these things than others, but it's a small percentage. And so when people say, well, I can do all raw you know, fruit and I'm fine, that's a very small percentage, and it's misleading. The bulk of people need to have you know, adequate protein, as I mentioned. It's called the M, capital, small M, capital T, capital O, capital R pathway, the mTOR pathway. They need a certain amount of protein. The successful people are ones who individualize their diet to their constitution. That's it. Now, is it all about diet? Well, 
obviously vegan life food diet supports spiritual life. Uh, we're, we're talking about exercise. It's you know we, I do yoga six days a week. Um, I'm, I can do most everything, but uh, I can do headstands. But I'm not freestanding uh, handstands yet. Okay, but obviously I'm active. I walk or do more vigorous exercise a few times a week. So we have to do exercise. We need to breathe. By the time people are 70, they lose 50% of their lung capacity if they aren't breathing. And without oxygen, our body functions go down. Aging can be measured by the amount of oxygen capacity you have in your system, yeah. the amount of oxygenation you have. That's what we call PO2, uh, oxygen content in your blood. So all that's really important. And then meditating. Okay, meditating is really important. People who meditate actually have a much healthier physiology. Yeah. The research shows that if you're meditating for five years, your physiology will be as much as 15 years younger. And actually, in several studies, your brain actually increases in size. That's interesting because the normal person's brain shrinks 1% a year. So meditating, and that's in the frontal lobes, it's a more holistic approach, but we have to individualize the diet to our constitution. We have to make sure we're getting enough uh, protein to our constitution. Those are the big kind of things. And getting the, the supplements I mentioned, the uh, folic acid, B12, vitamin D, and vitamin C. Can you uh, tell us about enzymes? I will also tell you, a lot of people... Can you, about, okay. can you tell us about enzyme supplements? Because I'm a big fan of enzyme supplements as well. Systemic enzymes, which are for longevity, keep your blood thin, and anti-inflammatory, and we have digestive enzymes. I generally take both. Mm. Uh, I take the systemic enzymes, uh, you know, it has to be away from food. They're mostly proteolytic, and they're very good, as I say, for blood, keeping your blood freely flowing, because we got to have good blood flow, and really for inflammation, because inflammation is the driving force behind all disease, acute and chronic. Okay, that being said, that's systemic enzymes, mostly proteolytic. I'm, I'm not going to mention brand names. I, I don't think that's, uh, I don't know what's available in England. The other is digestive enzymes. By the time someone is 35 or 40, there's a tendency to produce less hydrochloric acid, which we need for protein absorption and also. Uh, B12 and folic acid absorption, and uh, we also create less digestive proteolytic enzymes, lipase for fat, and amylases for carbohydrate. So generally, I recommend people start to do that. Now, this is a little strange, but I've noticed, I don't know, about a year ago, I stopped needing digestive enzymes. I don't have a clue what that's about it's kind of a mystery so um so maybe there's some healing going on that everything is regenerated i i can't answer answer the question um but generally i recommend people do that uh so they can absorb all their protein and their b12 
So I'm going to say I'm going to look at myself as an exception. I do recommend people take digestive enzymes, even if you're eating 100% live food. Now, I think it's overestimated how much enzymes we get from our food. Uh -huh. Okay. Uh, and so I haven't been really emphasizing that. I have found that live food takes more digestive power. That's one way of understanding it. And therefore, taking digestive enzymes actually does help live food people become more successful. Mm -hmm. But generally, the whole population seems to me. Can you tell us about your daily intake? What are some of your favorite foods? What's the typical daily daily meals look like for you? So the truth is I'm not very food oriented. I can't tell you I have a favorite food. Okay. <laughs> I'll tell you what I have. Okay, I'll have what I have is in the morning I will have uh, soaked goji berries uh, goji berries are one of the three main longevity herbs that there are um they're really a super herb they're what we call a yin jing herb it's, it's the best kind of combination and i'll just put a little uh, just for a little taste a little tahini that's it raw tahini but that's my morning breakfast i may uh, occasionally have bee pollen uh, like a tablespoon, and that's it. For lunch, I have a big salad. I don't really eat until about two, sometimes later, but I try to eat by one or two. And that's usually a big salad, uh, a certain amount of nuts and seeds, uh, and uh, avocado, olives, uh, you know, so I get my fat in, uh, with that and then I really don't eat at night so um, I'll have like a little juice or something and, I, and so when we look at diets what I'm going to say is you shouldn't lose weight uh -huh. I mean unless you need to lose weight once you've reached your optimum weight your weight should be stable my weight has been very very stable for a very long time so on that diet I'm you know, my weight's stable, and it gives me energy all day long. Uh, and so that's it. I'm not thinking to be a breatharian, but, you know, because that, that isn't really essential to spiritual life. Uh, if it were, I'd probably do that, but I'm not. I'm, that's what I eat. It's very little, and I think the less you eat, the longer you live. I'll put it that way. However... If you're not ready to do that, you don't want to get depleted, number one. I think that's really important. Um, and so you you don't want to be losing weight or get depleted. See, where I'm saying is, well, I'm getting stronger. Yeah. Everything's working right, so I know it's the right diet. Yeah. You should have energy. If you're on the right diet, you have unstoppable energy all day long. I mean, all day long. I get up at <laughs> around 530. I'm going till... 10 30 uh -huh. pretty much non-stop i mean i'm meditating i'm doing yoga doing things but i'm talking about being very active i don't take naps so that's a to me a sign that you're you're 
your diet is supporting your lifestyle. Yeah. Do you drink a lot? What are your favorite things to drink? I, I drink a moderate. Um, in terms of Ayurvedic, are you familiar with Ayurvedic? Yeah, yeah. So we have different constitutions, and real simple. There's nine different ones, but Kapha, Pitta, Vata are your three main ones. So I'm more of a Kapha. What does that mean? What it means is Kapha don't need very much water, whereas a Kapha needs six glasses of fluid a day. A Pitta or Vata may need 12. Mm. Okay? So as a Kapha, I have to be careful of drinking too much because then I have to urinate every hour. You know, these are just practical realities. And so I will have uh, uh, two, two glasses of fluid in, in the morning and then around lunchtime, which is more pitta, I'm going to start having a lot more fluid during the day and then I'll stop drinking. Well, I teach it not to, so, but I, I'll stop drinking by six. Um, so that's kind of a, it. How much I drink, here's how you look at it. You should drink enough that you're urinating every two hours. Um, I tend to need to urinate a little bit more than that, but what I'm saying is if you're urinating three or four hours, you are dehydrated. That's what I'm saying. So a very simple way to measure it that doesn't require calculations uh, or knowing your constitution is, on the average, a person who's hydrated is urinating every two hours. Mm -hmm. So it's a nice guideline. And that's how I look at the, the liquid. And I mostly have water, or my wife's really into tea. She's from New Zealand. So I have teas as well as kind of uh, primary, uh, you know, my, my, my fluids. So water and teas. And um, I've added recently a cup of coffee, organic, pH-based. I used to be very much against coffee. Yeah. <laughs> but new research comes out. And the problem with being a researcher is you have to be a researcher. So you can't hold on to old belief systems. I was so against coffee. It's like, okay, but now... The research is showing just the opposite. Uh, what turned my mind was that people who have one or two cups of coffee a day at five years have improved cognition and brain overall brain function. That's pretty important for someone in my position. So that's number one. Then you look further and you see, oh my goodness. So for diabetes, I thought coffee was terrible. Well, it turns out people who are regularly drinking coffee have 12% less diabetes. And the list goes on. So it appears that coffee improves cognition with age and protects you against diabetes. Well, that's good enough for me. So I added uh, a cup. That's all I do is a cup of coffee uh, a, a day in the morning. I take it as a medicine. Um, I, and that's kind of what I do. I put my goji berries in it. <laughs> so uh, that's that's pretty much my. You know, it's funny, but actually, I'm very serious about it. But you have to get the non-acid coffee. David Wolf, do you know David Wolf? Is? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Probably, but basically, they have a non-acid coffee. That's the one I use. Can you tell but, us about tachyon? I'm a big fan of tachyon. I believe you are as well. 
David Wagner, who's in Benetakia, and I are actually very close. Um, so I do a lot uh, with Tachyon. I recommend it for everyone uh, besides wearing, uh, wearing it. Uh, I put it on every single computer, cell phone, your fuse box, everything. Um, David is doing some research. Uh, this is real current, hasn't come out yet. Uh, and hopefully he's going to get come out to visit me this week or next week. Um, where he, he we're working on 5G, okay? So where he has a system, I believe, protects us against 5G for your whole house. So uh, David is really smart. He's really advanced. He has a degree in engineering. So I think it's generally good. I use a lot of the tech in. Uh, uh, products um, and what his theory of how tachyon works with 5g i've been doing a lot of work with 5g because it's like that's attacking everybody um or the potential to seriously compromise brain function and yeah. every single biological body function and throwing off what we call the schumann resonance which is the earth frequency the heartbeat of the earth putting everybody out of, into disorder. That's, I've been lecturing on 5G. So the, the point is that we're looking to how people can personally be protected from it. And he's working also on uh, another pendant for that. Now I am using something else, which I have shared with him, uh, which is called the quantum card, which I seem to work against 5G up to 7G. So, uh, but tachyon is really good. Now how it works, which is where I started, is in David's, David's theory is that the 5G, when it hits you, bifurcates, divides, and in that division, it causes damage. His theory is when people are wearing tachyon and therefore creating a tachyon field, the 5G rays go through you and then bifurcate, and therefore they don't cause harm. Uh -huh. So it's interesting, but um, I am a strong, uh, I advise people to use tachyon pretty much on everything. So, uh, and, and David is progressing. Uh, this 5G, I'm very excited about this 5G uh, work he's doing to protect your whole home besides just protecting yourself from 5G. So, so I wanted how to does tachyon work? I'll just say one more yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It creates a field around you you're so easily penetrated. That's that's the key concept. Go ahead. So I wanted to ask you about the current raw food movement. I feel like actually internationally at the moment in 2019. There's very little going on. There's no new books coming out. A lot of the restaurants and cafes have closed down. It's, it's just not such a, and although a lot of the elements of what we do as raw foods has been uh, accepted more widely, the whole kind of, you know, the whole kind of um, energy in the raw food movement seems to have dissipated a bit. I wondered what your opinion and your, your thoughts and feelings was on that. I somewhat agree with you. Um, 
and I'm not exactly sure, but I feel a lot of the energy has gone into vegan, which is a lot easier for people to do. Uh, and uh, so there's a big, bigger movement towards vegan. Uh, and somehow they don't make it from vegan to live food. Now, I'm not sure why there's less books. I know uh, a lot of, uh, like myself, um, and, other, you know, I'm, I'm writing a spiritual autobiography. Well, I've completed it, but I'm rewriting it again and then. Spiritual uh, autobiography called Into the Nothing. So we're not, like, moving on because that's not really the case. But we've kind of made the contribution, Victor Kolbinskis, and you know that kind of thing. And so the question is, the next generation hasn't really showed up yet uh -huh. uh, in any serious theoretical, really uh, way. Uh -huh. And I think it kind of got a little diffused into commercialism versus focusing on nutritional and, and spiritual well-being. Uh -huh. So, and that just doesn't hold. It's just, it's not so competitive. Um, I, but it hasn't stopped moving because uh, I just, uh, in Brazil and Sao Paulo, uh, helped kind of do a blessing for the opening of a, uh, a live food restaurant there. And there's like about four or five live food restaurants. No, I shouldn't say that. There's about four or five vegan restaurants, and this is uh, a live food um, a restaurant. So, again, I'm not being commercial, so I won't mention it, but it is happening. We're going to open a live food vegan restaurant, okay, which will be going on in Arizona. But the point is there may be a little bit more resurgent. Why? Because it's the most powerful diet for being healthy and elevating the spirit. Why is that important now? Because we're having more and more attack on our physical organism with GMO, with 5G. So we, we have to kind of step it up with the nutrition as protection. So I, I, I see that there's a low, as you have observed, I agree. But there may be more of a um, resurgence in time. And it may be people like myself and Brian Clements, who I'm uh, very friendly with, you know, we're getting it out there. Um, but there doesn't seem to be a lot of um, second or third generation people doing that in any deep way, yeah. if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, interesting. So, and I, but doesn't mean there can't be a resurgence. I think we, uh, for our own survival of humanity, we need to go that way. The other advantage is, you know, when you cook food, you lose 50% of the protein, 60 to 70% of the vitamins and minerals, 95% of the phytonutrients. Well, in a world where food is getting harder to eat, get, if you can eat half as much, you kind of are way more protected. You know, as I say, look at my diet. Now that maybe that's evolved over the years, but what I'm saying is you can still eat a whole lot less on a life food diet, which may be life-saving as we go into the future. So there are pieces there, okay? Like, um, 
I'm part of that. Like I'm thinking of coming in a year or so uh, to speak, and I'm going to speak on probably holistic veganism, but I also have holistic, why holistic live food? And it's, you know, a live food diet is clearly superior to a vegan diet. A vegan diet is significantly superior to a meat-eating diet. So we have levels of where people are ready for. So it's hard hard to really um, go beyond that. But it is true what you're observing. Gabrielle, I know you've got to go and get on with your day. Is there one last thing you'd like to share with us before you go? One more topic you'd like to, to share something with us on? Okay, uh, that's good. I, I think um, the most important thing in talking about diet is to think about diet as a, from a holistic point of view. We're just not eating for our health, we're eating for our spirit, we're eating for the ecology, and, uh, we're eating to protect against animal cruelty, we're eating to increase fertility, uh, and the live food diet is the, the best diet to do those things. That's one piece. The other piece is to see it in a context of a total lifestyle and in the context of our unique individualism, which is genetically determined. So to be really successful, we really do need to make it according to our constitution. On my website, drcousins.com, I actually have put up how to select whether you need more protein or less protein. There's a little questionnaire people can do. Um, But see the bigger picture is that the live food is the best diet, not only for your personal survival, but for the ecological survival of the whole world. So when we see that we're doing it at that level, it gives it a more power and meaning. It's also a way, if we have the consciousness, which is, to me, part of the life of the diet, which is the spiritual consciousness, how we can make everything we do in our food world sacred and holy. So when we sit to have a meal, it's really a time of being at prayer and at oneness. Uh, so we can use that besides regular meditating uh, to use our food intake time to really become uh, aware of who we are and aware of our oneness with all things. So those are things that are uh, kind of including and beyond just simply eating live. Mm. So we have an opportunity to uh, uplift the world, and one of the pillars for uplifting the world is this live food vegan diet. And it's much stronger if we do it with a lot more awareness. So I bless everyone that, that we eat and live with expanding spiritual awareness, which gives great value to how we're eating uh, consciously. And therefore, we're able to take better take in the uh, conscious uh, evolutionary elements of the food, which as I point out in spiritual nutrition, is about the top third uh, of what of the energy we're getting for food, because food is also energy. But that energy is more of the spiritual aspects. So I uh, encourage people to open up to the spiritual aspects of eating 
and therefore greatly enhance our ability to absorb the full divine message, let's say that the aspect of God in our food that uh, is minimized when we're cooking the food. So may everybody be blessed that we expand our consciousness for the healing of ourselves and the healing of our planet. Amen and aho. Amazing. Thank you so much. <laughs> okay, good. And I'm happy to, to do this. I'm happy to do it again if people want. Part of my mission now is getting out the vegan life food message to the world. So I'm putting a lot more time to do that rather than sing clients. Mm, well, hopefully we'll see you in London next year. Yeah, that would be really good. Kate, thanks a lot for interviewing me. I'm happy to support you in any kind of way that we can. Um, excellent. So blessings to everyone and blessings to you for your good work. Peace be with you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Gabrielle. Uh, you can listen to other interviews here on katemagic.com with loads of really amazing people. I only interview the best people. And you can also head over to iTunes for the Royal Living Podcast where I interview um, the people behind some of the most popular raw vegan brands in the world. So thank you for listening. And oh yeah, also you can head over to my Mixed Cloud if you want my DJ mixes. That's mixcloud.com forward slash katemagic.com.